This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I have Dr. Stephanie Evergreen on the line. Hey, Stephanie, how are you? I'm so um, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here as well. You are a speaker, you are an author, you are a designer, and you are a data nerd. Um, now, does that does that fit on a business card, or or do you have to go with <laughs> like one so of those? Well. I was going to say you have to go with one of those postcard business cards that some people use, which is That's great. Right. But they don't they don't fit well in a suit pocket, you know, maybe in you know a binder or something. But yeah, that's. I know. You know, I was just thinking about this. I just had new business cards made, and I'm a designer, so I, I really focus on how that looks. And then I think I ordered 200. You know, the last time I gave a business card away, I almost have to like force them on people now. It, it's funny because people usually, with their smartphones in hand, they'll they'll say, "Well, let me just look you up on LinkedIn and." They connect yeah. there and then pretty much you know, they can connect with you that way um, unless it's you know somebody you personally know or you, you're working with them locally then you know you might exchange numbers or something like that but for the most part yeah I, I, you know, I ordered my business cards uh, almost three years ago and I noticed that I'm getting out or getting low to them but I go to a heck of a lot of conferences so uh, in yeah. And occasionally, you know, there's a fishbowl at a restaurant and I'll throw it in and I'm like, okay, this is going to give me one of those two day gym membership things that they like go. to sell. <laughs> it's like, I, I have a gym in my condo. I'm good. Thanks. You know, I don't, I don't need to pay for one. I'm, I'm already paying for it in my, uh, in my condo fees and all of that. But, sure. uh, but so, so you get involved in, in data and in the presentation and what I like to refer to as the art form of mm -hmm. data. Because in the pre-show, we talked about you know, my career in the not-for-profit sector. And like many sectors, and especially not-for-profit, funding or revenue can be challenging. And when opportunities do come up um, and that unicorn flies by and we can actually apply for some additional funding for something, everyone else is as well. So mm -hmm. you know, telling a story on why your organization uh, deserves this one-time funding uh, more so than your, um, I don't want to say your competition, but your, your colleagues in the sector, uh, all boils down to how you present the information in a way that will resonate with those that are making the decision. So first, what got, what got you into this field? What was uh, so exciting about uh, looking at, at data and, and, and presenting it in such a way that you know, tells a story? Well, back when I was doing my PhD research, I was working with a lot of nonprofits, actually. I was helping them with surveys of their participants and collecting data with them and that sort of thing. Um, and then I would be responsible for writing up those reports about how many people they impacted, how many people they served, and that sort of stuff. And uh, I was making these charts that were, I knew they were boring. I knew that they weren't interesting, and I didn't really know what to do better. So I thought, ah, I'll make it 3D. And I made my pie charts 3D. And I thought that was like, oh, look at how much I've jazzed this up. Um, and then when I actually started looking into the research on it, I learned how bad that is, how much that distorts our ability to see the data. And I learned what I should be doing better. 
Um, and around that same time, I, I had to write a dissertation. So I picked this as my topic because that's your chance to become like the expert in something. So I studied this in depth and um, started to just talk about the things I was learning and, and everything sort of took off from there. Now I don't really, now I work with nonprofits in a different way. I'm not doing the surveys. I'm helping them talk about how to show that survey data. And that's a big, big thing because depending on, you know, the government agency or where these not-for-profits get their funding from, you know, it is limited. You know, there's more uh, supply and demand, you know, definitely kicks in. There's more demand for resources and funding than is available, you know, short mm -hmm. of, you know, rapid, you know, tax increases and uh, huge increases in donations to organizations that support other nonprofits. But at the end of the day, it's like, okay, here's an opportunity where you can apply for, you know, you say $75,000 of funding, for example, and you have to fill out a proposal and do all of these things. And it takes a lot of work, but if you can make your stand out, uh, it, mm -hmm. it goes a long way and it, it resonates with people. It doesn't guarantee, obviously, that you're going to get the funding, but believe me, you'll have the attention of those that read it. So when you uh, apply again, they'll, they'll see your presentation and they'll say, oh, I remember this one. You know, Stephanie's, yeah, group, did, exactly. Stephanie's group did this and mm -hmm. we love the last one. Let's see what they have to say this time on this one. And then yeah. you, you, your likelihood of success increases just by being able to you know, design it in such a way that is visually appealing and understandable to the audience. Exactly so. And sometimes it's as simple as just using your own branding, using your own fonts, using your own colors, instead of relying on you know, Microsoft Excel's defaults, which is going to make you look default and make you look just like everybody else. But the more that you incorporate your own style into the visuals that we use, the more that your brand is going to shine through and people will remember it. And I think that same philosophy goes whether, I mean, I, I see this work well when people are doing consortiums or um, partnerships with other nonprofits too. So it isn't necessarily always that we need to show ourselves head and shoulders above our, our, our friends and competitors, but that when we're trying to partner with other people, we're still in that position where we have to show our work and show our impact and that all has to look great. Yeah, you have to make sure that you follow all the instructions and the request for funding or RFP or whatever type of proposal. And, it, and it's not limited to you know, the nonprofit sector. You know, this goes to presentations uh, for corporations that are trying to land new deals with clients or negotiate you know, new contracts with vendors or you name it. Uh, it you know, we, all, we all get those boring Excel and Microsoft Word documents uh, that you know have you know, all text, no color. The spacing's off. Um, mm -hmm. We've all we've all seen the inconsistent fonts too. I, I, mm -hmm. I tend to see I tend to see that more than I think other people. Actually, organization that I'm helping out, uh, they had a proposal sent in, and and I noticed I said the fonts different on this one, and mm -hmm. they said I don't see it. And I said go back and look at the you know the the digital version of it. And sure enough, it was off by, you know, one point, but I noticed it. Uh, and yeah. it's, it's one people of those. People do. Yeah. And it's, and people do. And again, if you're being scored on things, they look at that and they go, okay, they missed that detail. Okay. What other details are they missing? Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it, it's like the old, you know, you know, for those that, you know, are familiar with 
the band Van Halen and their Brown M&M's contract stipulation that they had during their concerts. And everybody thought it was weird. It's like, what does the band have against Brown M&M's? So basically the, the clause that they had at every concert venue was all the Brown M&M's had to be removed from um, the bowls of M&M's that, you know, they had for the band to consume. It, and it wasn't because the band didn't like brown M&Ms. It was put in there to see how close to detail uh, the arena was to follow all the instructions and the stipulation. So when they found brown M&Ms in the bowl, they said, okay, to their roadies, you know, check out the gear, check out the stage, make sure all the safety things are there because they missed this clause and they may have missed some other things too. And they wanted to protect the safety of everybody that was involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And you know, it's not that it, it sounds like we're raising the bar really high, like, oh my gosh, everything has to be so perfect. But it isn't really that hard to do it when you have built in structures and procedures behind the scenes. Like, um, I usually recommend that organizations have a style guide and big companies will definitely have a style guide, but smaller companies tend to not. And a style guide is where you just record things like your decisions about your font and the size and the colors you'll use and um, all kinds of little choices, whether you're going to use acronyms or not, what your line spacing will look like. And you just document all of those decisions so that when it's time to create that new proposal, and you're writing it out, you already know exactly what the formatting needs to look like. And then everybody is on the same page in your organization when they're out there producing stuff, and then you look co- consistent and coherent, and that's what you're there for, you know? People are familiar with, with brands and, and the color schemes that they use and the fonts, even though they may, you know, the general public may not necessarily notice it, but you know, most of us that are in you know, the mindset of marketing and promotion and, and looking at information and we review a lot of things, we, we can recognize something and we can, you know, even to the point for some of us, you know, we could look at a font on a logo and we would know, you know, what company it is because again, they, they've made that part of their brand. And if you have a standardization and, and this goes with all kinds of different things, not just in the, you know, the data and reports that you're producing, but just in, in the work that you do and produce, if there's a consistency to it, then it's easier for you to create things in a way that uh, will resonate with, with your audience. And it takes less effort because if you submit reports all the time and there are 15 different flavors, it's going to confuse you know, your various audience members, they're going to say, wait a minute, you know, this doesn't look like something that this organization normally sends us what's going on. And it confuses people and they're going, okay, well, do they have turnover? They got new people working there. It, these questions start coming up and, and, and sometimes it's those questions that come up that could play a factor on, on the success or the failure of, you know, whatever type of endeavor your organization's trying to reach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I usually tell people design is not a place where people are going to necessarily pat you on the back and say, wow, that's amazing. Because good design usually actually flies under the radar. It's so good that people are just engaged with your content. They're just reading or they're just listening to your speech or whatever. It's really when we see bad design that we start to notice things like font size changes and color changes and stuff like that that don't belong there. Good design really shouldn't be that noticeable. People should just be like, cool, I'm in. 
Yeah, and, and it's a, a consistency, and, and everybody has their own, you know, taste. But if for an organization, I think that's one takeaway: is you know, figure out what your style is and be consistent with it. So that way, no matter who works on a proposal, and um, with many organizations. Hopefully, it's more than one person working on the proposal because otherwise it's a lot of work for one individual to have to deal with. But if everyone knows, okay, this is the style that we use, this is the font, this is in, in the paragraphs, these are the logos that we use, and have it easily accessible so people don't have to you know, launch their own research team to be able to find out, okay, where's the logo? Um, it, it should be easily accessible and consistent uh, you know, even down to PowerPoint templates, you know, it's like, okay, this is the template we use for all of our presentations. Use that and add, add your content. Here's what you where you add it and it just makes it easier. And again, it, 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 it eliminates the re reinventing the wheel, which unfortunately mm -hmm. I think a lot of organizations, and I'm sure you've seen that, especially in the nonprofit sector, it seems like every time they do something, they, they're, they're starting from scratch and it's like, why well, you don't have to. Uh, it's like save all of this information uh, somewhere. You know, yes, I know every proposal is different as far as what they're asking for, but the bio of the organization, the bio of your executive director or your, or your executive team, um, your mandate, your history of the organization, all of that stuff, that, that doesn't change very much. So have that stored off somewhere and you can just kind of like when, you know, making dinner just you know grab the ingredients that you need in order for the the proposal to be you know the best they can be mm -hmm. yeah and you know i think there are a lot of really nice time saving tricks that we can do to to make that those templates all the more baked in i mean i think a lot of people are familiar with powerpoint templates because your organization's probably forced you to use one at some point in time but we can make the same kind of templates available in word when we're writing up those reports and those proposals and we can make templates available inside excel so that when you do the work to make a graph that doesn't look like it's excel defaults you can make that your new template so that you don't have to go through all those efforts in the future it's just one click and then you have baked in all of those awesome style decisions that set you apart from other people. So it doesn't have to be so time consuming. I mean, maybe at the front end to just set up the template and then you just roll from there. Yeah, I'm a big fan of automating as much as you can. Then that way you're using your, your brain power uh, for creativity of creating something new that uh, can be the game changer and any of the work that you do. So, exactly. So some of the things that you, that you do, obviously you help organizations and, you know, it's really with the storytelling uh, that the data can provide, you know, what are some of the common things that you see organizations do that uh, really limits their impact on, on, on the work that they're doing as far as present or presenting uh, the, the data that, uh, that they are pushing out? I think that the biggest mistake I see people make is not taking the time before the presentation of the meeting or whatever, to know their points. And that I think it's because we are often working, working, working on stuff until like the, until the meeting starts, you know? And I see this happen all the time when I'm on the plane, I'll be in first class and I'll be seeing over the shoulder all these other people in first class wearing their business suits with their laptops open, still working on their slides when you know they're gonna land and go straight into that meeting. And that means if you're doing that, it means you have not taken the time to really think through the insights. And what I see people do is just 
you know, put some data up there on the slide and it'll say something like um, marketing campaigns and everybody in the audience is going to go, so what about marketing campaigns? Like, what's your point? And they're there to get the presenters insights about the marketing campaigns, not to muddle through the data themselves. Getting that insight is in fact, the presenter's job. That's why they're there. But it's the number one thing I see people lacking. They don't, they're not clear on what their points and insights are. Yeah, I've seen that too, where everyone's working on it last minute and then they, they get to um, the presentation and because they aren't familiar with what they're presenting, we, we get to sit through what I like to refer to as PowerPoint karaoke and they read every word on the slide. I, 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 I think there should be a law that if they are going to do that, it needs to have the bouncing ball like karaoke does. So, so we can all follow along in case, in case we doze off and we wake up. It's like, okay, where are they at in the slide? They can see the oh, ball. That's and, painful. Because you know what it's like when you're, in the, when you're in that room and they're just reading off the slides. You're like, just give me the slides. I'll read it to myself in five minutes. But... Instead, no, you're going to have to sit there and wait patiently while they read it out loud to you. And that's totally not how you convince people that you are awesome or that they should listen to you. That's how you convince people that you're really annoying and boring. So, yeah, let's not, let's not do that at all. Um, it takes a lot of mental effort to get clear on what you really need people to know. And it takes also getting out of your own shoes and getting into your audience's shoes. Because what we think is important isn't necessarily what the audience, that particular audience, thinks is important. And I think that's why we end up in a lot of places where people have to preface whatever they're going to say with 10 minutes of background information first. Because they think you need to know all these details before they can give you some important information. But usually the audience is like, come on, just cut to the chase. Tell me what I need to know. And then let me go home or let me make my decision that I'm here to make or whatever it is. So I think all that stuff takes time and it takes thinking through what your audience wants to hear. And that's the biggest uh, mistake I see a lot of uh, speakers do in, in presentations, even, even in proposals that are, are being emailed or mailed in is, okay, you get to the, the deliverables. What's the outcome? How is this going to benefit the audience and what you're sharing? Uh, give those actionable items, usually mm -hmm. two or three. Don't give them, okay, here's the, the 50 things you can do um, <laughs> to improve your life. Uh, you're going to lose them after maybe four or five. Um, mm -hmm. They can go back and look at that list later possibly, but you want to leave them with, okay, here's some things that you can implement right away, or mm -hmm. these are things that will help you make a, a faster decision on, this proposal or whatever information you're presenting because if after the end of your presentation and everyone's kind of looking around going, okay, well, what are we supposed to do? Um, you have just wasted everyone's time, including your own because you haven't, you haven't convinced them or moved them towards any type of action. You've basically just, you know, had story time uh, with, with, a PowerPoint presentation or uh, exactly. a, a you know, Word document or something like that going through it. It's like, ha have the end goal in mind. It's like, what do you want the audience to do with this information? And how can you present it 
in a way that's succinct. And oftentimes you want them to ask questions, but ideally you want them to ask you know, for more detail on a particular situation or something that you mentioned, then that way you can dig deeper into you know, the content you're providing. But you definitely want to give it um, as much of a, here's some things you can do and make it clear as possible because as we see in society, our attention span keeps shrinking. So mm. you, know, you, you get a meeting invite for a 45 minute presentation on something at the office, you're going, oh, okay, well, so much for that day. And depending on what it is, or if you're at a conference, it's a little bit different, but again, you, you want people to you want people to do something with the information you're providing them uh, and, yeah. and, and walk all away from good, it. Yeah, all good presentations should end with some kind of call to action. And I think actually this, I say the same thing um, about written documents. Like I'll see people make infographics or fact sheets or something like that. And they should all end with some kind of call to action. What do you actually want people to do now that you've told them all the things that you've told them? And what I tend to see is that in presentations, people just end with a slide that says questions. And that's not helpful. Um, if we are going to do those questions, like you said, they are important, but we should sprinkle them in throughout the presentation, actually, so that people are getting their questions answered as you go, which is a little hard to manage. You got to have some like crowd control skills when you do that. Um, but then at the end, you want to wrap up on some strong note, some kind of now that you know this, do this thing. So I can't agree with you more. We just need to make it more explicit what we actually want people to do at the end. Yeah, and that call to action is, is crucial for all types of different things, you know, whether you're, you know, a, a speaker and you're, you're selling a product or service. You know, it's a, you, you want people to do something with the information. Whenever you're presenting anything, I would hope that you would want people to, like I said, do something with it, you know, take something from it, whether to improve their department or improve their organization or convince them that, yes, you're the right organization or the right person to bring on even in you know job interviews you know that it's something a lot of people think a lot of, they're just gonna ask me some questions I'm gonna answer and then they're gonna make their decision no you, as an interviewee or interviewer you should have you know an end goal in mind and a call to action on on the questions that you're asking in such a way where you you make an impact on the interviewers you know one of the things that I did, you know, when I was in the, you know, working for people stage of my life. Um, and I picked this up from a webinar years ago. And I, I apologize to the person that taught me this because I don't remember her name, but it, it has been really uh, earth shattering uh, as far as my ability to be successful in applying and, and landing jobs was, you know, I listened to what the interviewers had to say about some things and talk about the organization and they would present their information. Sometimes, you know, on a, you know, a slide deck and sometimes it would be um, just, you know, verbal, but I would take notes of all of that stuff. And then within the next day, I would give them basically a report and I called it my 30, 60, 90 day plan. So I would say, okay, over, this is what I'm going to be doing when hired for this role for the next 30, 60 and 90 days with, with the caveat that, okay, there's going to be some things that I don't know about the organization and there may be priorities that need to be done sooner than later, depending on what's on the, on the list. But every time I've done that, either I got the job or I was second choice every time, every time. And it, it's one of those things where, you know, I took the information or the data they gave me 
and presented it back to them in such a way where they could look at it and go, okay, and we see how this person thinks when it comes to pri- prioritizing things that need to be done. And, and again, it was a call to action for those organizations. And I know the last place uh, that I was hired at, you know, one of the employees that saw the document, they said, that's what got you hired. I'm like, oh, okay, good. It wasn't my charm. Okay, I thought it was my charm. You know, it's like, or, or my bald head. No, okay, it was actually some, something work-related. Okay, that's, that's good to know. That's good, yes. Well, and it is about, going back to what you were saying earlier, it's about setting yourself apart from others, distinguishing yourself in those ways. Um, I just got an email today from someone who wanted to um, dig into some of my work and learn from some of my books. She said that she was... Uh, out in the job market and was looking for a way to distinguish herself so she wanted to self-teach some data visualization and presentation skills so that she could show that off to potential employers and it is it's such a critical business skill communication really is such a critical business skill that we don't learn about unless you actually go to school for communication um, and but it's big everybody needs to know how to do it and so the more you can figure that stuff out when you are applying for jobs, the better off you're going to be compared to the other people who are applying. That's all presentation of data and how you present mm-hmm. yourself because you know, much like, you know, the PowerPoints and Word docs and things like that, your resume dot doc. And I've worked in HR. Um, some roles you get dozens, if not hundreds of resumes thrown at you. And after a while, um, the text tends to blur and you're like, sure. okay, who's this? What are they doing? And it's unfortunate because I, I'm sure that many organizations have passed on you know, people that would have been absolutely amazing for their organization, but that resume didn't stand out enough for them to go, we need to talk to this person and bring them in because they might be you know, the right person for this role. And all mm-hmm. because of, all because of presentation. Completely. And I uh, have wrestled with this question. People ask me all the time, should I make my resume look more designery, a little bit more like an infographic? And I've seen some successful ones out there, um, but I've also seen some that went a little bit too far in the wrong direction, you know, and it looked a little bit too gimmicky or cheesy. And that actually would be working against that person. I've heard feedback on hiring committees that they're not necessarily looking for a bunch of icons and, and rainbow colors and that in some ways you kind of have to pitch to the player. Like if you're going for a, a job that's in design or something adjacent to that, you definitely need to have some uh, design in your resume because that's the first portfolio people are really going to see. Um, if you're not, then going overboard with that stuff isn't necessarily going to help. But some small things for sure, just like don't use the default Microsoft resume template. You're going to have to change some stuff so that it sets you apart. Yeah, and it boils down to, and we've talked about this before, is you know, know your audience. You know, do some research on you know, who you're pitching to, um, mm-hmm. and that that goes without. You know, it doesn't matter if you're doing public speaking or applying for a role or a presentation for funding, whatever the case may be. You figure out you know, who they are, who's the players, you know, what, what interests them and just to set yourself apart and give yourself you know, a chance to be successful in, in, in any type of presentation that you do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So 
So if you were going to give an organization one bit of advice on you know, how to better present uh, their data to you know, be more successful in what they're doing, no matter what they're doing, you know, what's one of the common things you, you tell people to do? I know you had mentioned, you know, about getting, you know, a brand and, you know, consistency and, and, and what you use and all of that. But uh, is there anything else that you would, you would highlight in that? So after stating your insights right there on the slide or on the graph or whatever, and incorporating your branding, I think the next step is to learn more about different graph types. I was in uh, a workshop at MasterCard, so big, big company, talking to their marketing team about all their marketing data. And um, I showed them a particular graph type called overlapping bars. It's a really simple graph, but it just fits so many data scenarios. And you could just see the brains explode in the room because it fits what they needed to talk about in a way that just would make so much more sense and cause less confusion in those decision-making meetings. So, and that's the nice thing about, you know, being in the day and age that we're in right now, we have more graph types available to us than what we may have thought or what we think Excel's default choices are. Um, and once we learn about those other options that are out there, we'll find graph types that better match the story we're trying to tell. And it just cuts through all the confusion and makes it so simple to just get the point and then make have those critical conversations and make those critical decisions. I have made note of overlapping graphs. I will play around with those and, and see, not might confuse you know, some of the people that I, I use, but I, I, I think or if somebody tries to edit it, that could, that could turn out to be fun and cute. It's like, wow, that does not look like what it should, but that's all, okay. But no, that's awesome for that. Thank you for that tip. So Stephanie, I've enjoyed our conversation today. Where can people find out more about you and the awesome work you're doing? Well, I've got two books out, Presenting Data Effectively and Effective Data Visualization. Both talk about graphs and presenting uh, information in slides and reports and dashboards. My website's a really good place to start, stephanieevergreen.com. I even have instructions on how to make an overlapping bar chart there. I saw that when I was researching you earlier, and I, I, I meant to bookmark it, but I've written it down on, on a piece of paper so I can really make sure that I pay attention to that. And we'll definitely have all that information in the show notes as well. So Stephanie, thank you again for, for being on the show. Appreciate you and, and, and love um, how you're able to help organizations, you know, better present their stories and, and in a way that makes them successful in whatever endeavors uh, they want to pursue. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me here. Uh, thank you for being here. Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst-case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get as a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening.